Flight Guys Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul. Your smart guide to the state of Turkey. Welcome to Zeitgeist Turkey. This is Cansu Çamlıbel. We are coming to you from Istanbul with Can Selçuk'i. Hi Can, it's been a while. Hi Cansu, yes it's been a while. How are you, all good? I'm good, I'm good, thanks. It's been really difficult to catch you indeed between your travels. Hope you are good too, healthy and well. Yes, I have been traveling but very cautiously and I intend to stay home for a while now. Good. We have a very lively agenda to talk about, so I'll quickly get into it. What a week it has been. And probably I should say 10 or 12 days taking it from the US election. It was a global excitement for all of us, but we'll probably get into what the election of Biden and Kamala Harris will mean for Turkey in the next episodes, because I believe we have domestic urgencies to talk about today. The political earthquake in Ankara which resulted in sudden resignation of Berat Albayrak, Treasury and Finance Minister of Turkey, President Erdogan's son-in-law. He was an absolute powerhouse up until last weekend. He did not only control Turkey's economy, but he had an upper hand within the government and he gained this upper hand by using his family ties. He almost declared himself the crown prince at Erdogan's palace and everybody who is familiar with how things work in Ankara have been aware of this. Honestly, his privileged position inside the government has been a concern for the AKP brass for a long time, but he was untouchable. And no matter which mistakes he did, he always had the protection of his father-in-law and his mistakes were usually covered up by the media channels that are controlled by his elder brother, Serhat Albayrak. We should uh, remind the audience that Serhat Albayrak is the owner of the Turquoise Media Group. He's one of the leading uh, media companies in Turkey right now. And Turquoise Media owns Daily Sabah, ATV A Haber. But we should remind of the fact that Serhat Albayrak has been the ghost mind behind the management of all the AKP-friendly media groups. So he is not only responsible for the Sabah group, at least uh, up until last week. That was how it was played in Ankara. And I know this for a fact as a journalist, because I worked at uh, Daily Hurriyet until my resignation last year. Maybe some of our audience might think that this is too much information to start with. But trust me, it's not. Otherwise, you would not understand how huge the resignation of Berat Albayrak is for Turkey. How huge this is in Erdogan's world to sacrifice his son-in-law, someone from the family, and for Erdogan to admit that his son-in-law messed up the economy with wrong monetary policies, to admit that he dried up all the reserves of Turkey, left the country in a hard place in two years since he was appointed as the finance minister. And uh, by the way, just after Turkey transitioned into this exclusive presidential system, which gave Erdogan the power to rule Turkey with an iron fist. Can, I know it has been a long introduction, but please take it from here. And please give us your reading of the state of Turkish economy to help us understand why Berat Albayrak, in my view, was forced to resign by his father-in-law, President Erdogan. Jansu, it wasn't long at all because I think your assessment is very accurate. 
it's not just the resignation of finance minister and son-in-law of Mr. Erdogan, but the, the resignation actually impacts a broad range of areas that will have an impact on Turkey going forward. And what do I mean by this? You mentioned the uh, media side of this, but there is also, as Berat Albayrak's power increased uh, within the government, uh, so did the number of you know, business people that were organized around them. Also, you know, the part of bureaucracy uh, that organized them uh, also uh, grew in size. So this change uh, not only is not a simple change of uh, Minister of uh, Finance and Treasury, but a, a change that will impact, as I said, a broad range of areas from media to bureaucracy to business. So what happened? Why did this resignation uh, happen? Let's take a look at this from two perspectives. One, obviously, the numbers showed very clearly that the Turkish economy was about to hit a wall. A presentation made to Mr. Erdogan by uh, you know, seasoned bureaucrats, Naji Abal and his team, whom later became the central bank governor, conveyed this to Erdogan. And it turned out that Erdogan was actually not aware that the economy was about to hit a wall. So that's number one. John, before you jump on to number two, I would like to elaborate on this a little because it's really curious. President Erdogan, who has absolute authority over everything, he can on a daily basis give orders so that his police and the judiciary round up people for inciting him on Twitter. And he's not aware, he was not aware of the fact that Turkish economy has been in shambles. I mean, this is really difficult, difficult to believe. How is that possible? I see your point, Jansu. But I think the real realization here was, and this is the gossip part, what I can gather from what I've heard, is that Mr. Erdogan was aware of obviously things going bad, but this was mostly attributed to the COVID pandemic and the global downturn. And once, you know, this pandemic is over, we would be out of the troubled waters and, you know, there was a bright future ahead. The fact that this was not the case and that Turkey had a particular uh, set of, you know, worsening indicators that negatively, significantly uh, differentiated from the rest of the world, uh, I think this realization led to the sequence of events that we have witnessed in the past 10 days. Now, it's not entirely believable, I agree with you, but uh, we are where we are. Right. Please continue with your second point. Well, the second point is obviously are the results that we see from our polls. And I'm sure Mr. Erdogan and you know, his team are aware of this as well. The economic sentiment uh, has been declining uh, very, very sharply in the past uh, three months. And this has been reflected not only uh, in his uh, AK Party's votes, but also you know, declining AK Party votes, but also increasing uh, opposition votes. Uh, mainly I'm talking about Mr. Akshener's E Party and Mr. Babajan's uh, Deva Party. So, you know, what's the significance of these parties is, you know, these are the parties that are most likely to get votes from the AK Party base. So I think this really rang the alarm bells that led to the changes in the uh, economic management. And also, we should also remind the audience that right after changing the central bank governor and appointing a new minister of finance and treasury, the minister of justice also made statements saying that, you know, they realized that the economy can't be good without a good judicial system, a fair judicial system, and that they were, you know, looking to uh, make reforms uh, in this area. 
And then, like you said, Mr. Erdogan, in a couple of speeches after that, said that they, a new era of uh, reforms will be ushered in. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get to that uh, so-called new era. But before that, since you were talking about the recent polls, can you, can you give us uh, recent figures from your polls? Where is AKP, where is MHP, where is EU party? And why uh, President Erdogan might have been this much alarmed so that he would end up firing uh, his son-in-law? Jansu, let me give you our numbers from the November poll of uh, Türkiye Raporu. And this is the first time that I'm saying this uh, in public. We will publish the results on 18th of uh, November uh, with the general public. So there's a very striking result. Mm-hmm. It is that the non-People's Alliance vote share has gone above 50% of the popular vote. After the, you know, the undecided uh, has been distributed, which is around 13%. So this is the first time we are seeing this. We had seen in the past where the opposition was neck to neck with the People's Alliance of AK Party and MHP. But for the first time, actually, the share of parties that are outside of People's Alliance have gone above 50%. And that's the winning threshold. This is why President Erdogan was alarmed. And he made this colossal pivot, in my view, uh, that he did uh, last week. Can you give us numbers from the Nations Alliance, where the opposition is kind of gathered? So there are two sets of numbers that we need to look at. First, let's look at the numbers with undecided, which are at 13.1%. Mm-hmm. So under that scenario, uh, our party gets 33.2% of the popular vote, whereas MHP gets 8.8% of the popular vote, making there some 42 mm-hmm. uh, in total. With the undecided distributed, this number goes up to 47% leaving the remaining 53% to parties that are not in the People's Alliance. Mm -hmm. So here we see a clear shift in the balance. And this is something new. We had indicators that showed the trend would come to this. But for the first time, we are actually seeing it happen, uh, that the balance uh, has shifted in favor of the opposition. The results with uh, the undecided, where AK Party with 13.1% undecided, AK Party gets 33.2% and MHP gets 8.8% of the popular vote, uh, adding up to uh, 42% uh, of the popular vote. Whereas with the undecided, uh, CHP gets 16.5%, EU Party 13.5%, HDP 103 Deva 2.4 and Future 0.9 with others and and Felicity Party at 0.6. Now, with the undecided distributed, ARC Party gets 37.7 and MHP gets 9.3. Their sum is uh, 47%, whereas the CHP gets 20.1, E Party gets 16.2, HDP gets 11.3, Deva gets 2.9 and Gelecek gets uh, 1.1 making the sum of the non-People's Alliance parties at 53%. There are two things arising from these numbers you just gave us. The first thing is the margin. Okay, it's really important that the non-governing bloc is gaining popularity, but also we are talking about when the undecided distributors, we are talking about um, a five, six point margin, which is not huge. And in a 
possible early election scenario. We know that with, with the charisma that he, has, that he has benefited for the last 20, 25 years, President Erdogan seems he can narrow this margin quite quickly. I mean, at least this is what we saw in the previous elections. So my first question is, with the resignation of Al-Bayrak or President Erdogan kindly sending him away, and now talking about reforming uh, the judiciary, reforming the economy as if someone else was ruling this country, by this rhetoric, can he gain votes in the next coming months? That's the first question that I have. And the second question is, are you expecting any kind of early election? We talked about the possibility of early election so many times in our previous episodes. And every time you said you are not expecting a very early election, at least in the next year. But do you think with uh, what happened in Turkish economy, resignation of Al-Bayrak, and then President Erdogan uh, feeling himself in a position uh, to talk about reform, have things changed? Now, let me begin with your first question, John. So, yes, you are right. Erdogan is very successful in making up for his losses uh, during campaigning using, you know, good old rhetoric. Obviously, the changes that he introduced in the government and, you know, the so-called mentality, let's say, are aiming to stop the bleeding, to stop the advance of the uh, opposition. If that can be done, I'm not sure. You know, we'll need to see. And we'll have to watch a few indicators and tell them what they are in, while answering your second question. The changes in economic management, the promises of reform in the uh, judiciary has only confirmed and reconfirmed my conviction that there won't be any early elections. And let me tell you why. First of all, when the two new individuals were appointed, the minister and the governor of central bank, the markets welcomed this. Why? Because both of them are old bureaucrats and respected bureaucrats. And Mr. Erdogan, right after the appointment of the minister, said that he would leave room for these individuals to perform their duties in a way that whatever professionalism requires. And the markets react to that. But we need to remember, I mean, everybody's saying that the markets reacted well, things are going well. No, that's not the case. The markets reacted well, but the dollar against the lira went from 8.5 to 7.6, which is still a huge number. I mean, the lira is still uh, very, very low in value. That puts a lot of pressure uh, on prices uh, and and producers and and the households uh, across the country. So, no, we are not out of the uh, muddy waters. And in order for this economic management to be successful, actions need to be taken. And these actions actually are not uh, easy ones. That, you know, uh, for a while, Turkey will continue to experience low growth, high unemployment, high prices, because this is the price you pay uh, in order to fix the economy. I mean, call it IMF or no IMF, this is what needs to be done, right? So this is why I think we are not going to see early elections anywhere soon. The next year, year and a half, are going to be rather difficult from an economic perspective. So it is most reasonable for uh, Erdogan to wait out for as long as he can uh, until the time when the economy starts recovering and there's an uptick and have the elections then. So this is number one. Second one, and this is actually what makes the success of the reform so difficult at the same time. It's a bit paradoxical, I realize, but uh, as things get tougher and tougher, uh, I'm curious to see 
uh, how uh, inclined Erdogan will be to keep providing this this free uh, operating uh, space uh, to the new economic uh, management that he promised. So that we will see, uh, you know, probably in the first half of uh, 2021. The second reason why I don't think there will be early elections, and I think I said this in a previous podcast, is that last week or 10 days ago, there was news from Sabah newspaper that said that AK Party has prepared a draft election law, mm-hmm. uh, you know, amendments to the election law. The titles there are very controversial, uh, obviously. We will have to see what the details are. But even if that law was enacted, let's say, in February or January, January, February, March of 2021, we would have to wait a year until we can have elections. And that's already puts us uh, very close to 2023. So these two factors combined, I don't expect any early elections. The only disclaimer that I'd like to give at this point, the only, I think, unpredictable uh, element, uh, variable in this, uh, in this equation is Mr. Bakhti, the head of MHP. Now, seeing the economic downturn, uh, seeing how things uh, are getting difficult, he might, he's still a wild card. He might, you know, in the past, it was impossible to predict when he would call for early elections. That could happen, but there's no way of uh, predicting it. The opposition parties, especially HDP and uh, Ali Babacan and Ahmet Davutoğlu's parties, uh, have been pressing for the need for an early election in Turkey. Under the new system, as you said, this is only the governing bloc can call the shots in that sense. And the second point, which is really interesting, is that we also have been talking about this, David Bahçeli's position and how he might be changing the course of events, and he did in the past. What has been really striking me is that uh, Mr. Bahçeli has been really silent in the recent weeks, especially following uh, Berat Albayrak's. It's evident that President Erdogan is also aware that that Devlet Bahçeli is the only person in Turkey who can really change his game plans at any given moment. And that's why there are rumors in Ankara that President Erdogan has been eyeing, watching uh, Meral Akşener and uh, her E-Party very closely, not because they are doing a a fierce opposition uh, to the AKP and to the government, but because he wants to understand whether if in the case that he needs a new partner to stay in power, in the case that uh, David Bahçeli calls this alliance off, he would need another smaller partner in the alliance, in the governing bloc. So Meral Akşener is still in a key position. Do you think that kind of a shift might be possible in the next years? No, I don't. Because uh, while Ms. Akşener is gaining in popularity, her main constituents are supporting her because she's against uh, the People's Alliance. Now, there's only one scenario under which I can see Ms. Akşener negotiating with Erdogan. It is that if, a couple of years down the line, Erdogan decides to go back to a parliamentary system or a, you know, a semi-presidential system, I don't know, maybe a la France or something, then I could see Ms. Akşener on the negotiation table to, to draft a new constitution. But this is highly speculative, right? That would mean that, you know, uh, Mr. Erdogan actually uh, accepts defeat and and looks for a a different uh, way out. 
but this is highly speculative. Anything short of this, I don't see any possibility of misactionary uh, switching sides. Right. These two people, Bahçeli and Melal Akşener, we will keep talking about them, I believe, for a long time. For today, uh, we have come to a close. Thank you so much for all the insights and uh, your comments, uh, as usual. My pleasure, Jansu. Let's talk soon because looks like, you know, things are getting hot, let's say. And we have heavy files to cover, uh, definitely. And until next time, stay healthy, stay safe and take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye.